Well, good morning. My name is Chris. I love the way James always introduces himself. Um, sometimes I think we should do that. For those of you that are watching, we're just grateful that you would join us this morning uh, or evening, depending on where you're watching from. Um, you know, there's always uh, tremendous amounts of things to talk about, what God is doing. And there's just, as my wife likes to say, there's this thread that runs through everything that's going on. I'm so grateful for each piece of it, um, what I see God doing in our young people, in the youth team, uh, in the youth group, um, through Boythe Ball and Sarah Court Apartment Complex, even the young people at uh, Burkmar High School still being engaged, uh, what God is doing with our children and in our small groups around the city, uh, vibrant life, communion with the Father, community with each other, and uh, living out the Great Commission where we live. Um, those things are happening. And I really think that the Lord is doing something in our midst, in the middle of COVID, that gets us refocused on the right priorities. And these are things that God has put before us. Uh, so it's exciting to hear uh, as each one has talked about all the fullness and all the goodness and all the greatness of God and how he's shown up. Uh, just appreciate all of you that have participated already. So what we've been doing here this summer, we've taken a few weeks. We had a great time with Brian Emmett last week talking about prayer. And then the week before, we had a panel from Unite Leaders around the city that worked towards flourishing in the church and our communities and racial reconciliation. But we're going to return to our study uh, from the book of Revelation. We've been looking at Jesus's letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. And today we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, specifically the church in Thyatira. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now I have to just stop right there. Um, we sang a song earlier about him being king. And I love these descriptions in the book of Revelation. They are amazing descriptions of Jesus as reigning king. It reminds me that our view of Christ oftentimes needs to be expanded. We, we a lot of times will speak of him as savior and he is. He is the one who emptied himself of divine privilege and he became a servant, he humbled himself. He was born in the likeness of man. He was gentle and lowly in heart. But he is much more than all of that. He is our victorious king. Revelation 1 tells us that he is clothed with a long robe and gold sash. And that's, a, that's an indication of royalty and that, and that the hairs of his head are as white as wool. And I gotta admit, that makes me feel better about my hair. Not that I'm Jesus, but his eyes, it also says, are like flames of fire and feet like burnished bronze. And his voice is like the roar of many waters. And from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword and his face shines as bright as the noonday sun. He is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstool. He is sitting there now and one day very soon he will return in the clouds and that's something we should all be looking for all the time. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him 
like Cindy helped us see with that banana. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, the sovereign one, the ruler of heaven and earth, the ancient of days. So even as we look at these letters to these churches and their important instructions for us, we must remember that the one who is speaking in it to these churches and to us is Jesus the King, the revealed one, the one that has been revealed to us. So let's look further at, at what King Jesus says to this church in Thyatira. Verse 19 says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to go ahead and qualify it for this church. I'd love to be a church like that. I'd like for us to be known as a church whose love and faith and service and patient endurance has led to even greater works than those that we had at first. Unlike the church uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago, the church in Ephesus, which Jesus said had lost the love that they first had, the Thyatiran church was strong in love. And that love, it was coupled with faith. And those are two things that every church must have because after all, they are two of the three Christian core virtues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. And when love and faith are in a church and they characterize that church, the result is always gonna be service. Service that is active uh, in and through the body, each member of the body, where charity and help and, and care and ministry for others is the priority. And then lastly, we see Jesus praising this church in Thyatira for their patient endurance, which is really kind of a theme of the whole book. We see Jesus referring to those who persevered in the face of trials. So this is quite a commendation. Jesus commends this church in Thyatira for their works, for their love and their faith, their service, their patient endurance. And to top it all off, he says their latter works exceeded the first. They were growing, doing it better at this point than the point they started. Like I said, quite a church. But we know that Jesus has more to say, don't we? Look at verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent for their works. Now, I want to just say something about these verses. Notice that he gives time for repentance. This is the heart of God. He's giving us time for repentance. But if we refuse to repent, there is judgment that comes. But still, if we will repent of those things that are against God, he will be quick to forgive and to heal and to restore. 
It goes on in verse 23, and I will strike her children dead if they don't repent. And all the churches, all of them, not just the one in Thyatira, but all of them will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned from some what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. So here we have this church in Thyatira that has tremendous quality, love, faith, service, patient endurance. They're, they're doing better today than they were the first day, but Jesus says, I have something against you. And it's a big something. They had chosen, they had fallen into tolerance of moral compromise. It was right there in their midst, among them. They were compromising because they were tolerating the compromise of another. John Stott put it very bluntly. He said, in that fair field, a poisonous weed was being allowed to luxuriate. In that healthy body, a malignant cancer had begun to form. An enemy was being harbored in the midst of the fellowship. You know, let's take a step back to look at this city of Thyatira because it's going to help us better understand this poisonous weed, this malignant cancer that is growing. Thyatira is the city that we know least about among all the other seven that we've talked about and we will talk about. But one thing we do know is that it was a center of commerce. It was known for many industries, including the dyeing and trading of woolen goods. You, you might recall in Acts 16, where Paul is in Philippi, having been led there by the Holy Spirit, and he goes out on the Sabbath outside the gate to a river outside the city where he meets some women there, and he shares with them the gospel, and they become the first founders of the church in Philippi. One of those women is Lydia, and she is known as a seller of purple goods, dyed woolen goods. And it tells us she was from Thyatira. Thyatira was, uh, was known for its number of large trade guilds. And these were uh, types of associations for workers in wool or linen, leather, bronze, dyeing and making garments, and also um, pottery and bakery, even slave trading had guilds. These, these guilds, as we've talked about before, were, they were kind of a strange mix. We don't really have anything quite like it today, though we might have some things more like it than we care to think. But these guilds were kind of a weird mix of a trade union with a nightclub and a banquet hall, idol worship, and a brothel all thrown into one. Uh, they, were, they were bizarre. They were they were worshiping deities that were idols, fake gods. They were having commerce among themselves. They were celebrating and feasting and having orgies all at the same time. But those that are in these cities, these cities of Asia Minor, that refused to join these guilds, they were, they were oftentimes eliminated or ostracized from buying and selling goods. So it cost you to not be a part of one of these guilds. It costs you. Now, why is this relevant? Well, because it is directly tied to the influence in this church 
by a woman Jesus calls Jezebel. This woman is a self-proclaimed prophetess who is teaching and seducing believers, followers of Christ, to engage in the very pagan practices that culture is doing all around them. Now this, this church in Thyatira was known and it had great reputation. It had great love, great faith, service, and endurance, but it was tolerating this so-called prophetess as she promoted compromise in the church with the culture that was around the church. And, and she probably was maintaining a, a false narrative, a, a heretical statement, saying something like, God has granted us permission, a special dispensation that we might do these things. He means to bless us and do us good. She was probably promoting all sorts of justification to warrant people enlisting these types of behaviors. She might have even been saying that God would preserve them from any harm. They could do these things because they were his children. She might have even been calling such practices the deep things of God, which is why I think Jesus says what he does in verse 24 with tongue in cheek. He says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. I have a feeling that that's what she had been proclaiming using God's name instead of Satan. And Jesus turns the table and says, you're actually promoting what you call the deep things of Satan. Just my theory, can't prove it, but it would be something Jesus would do. Of course, this prophetess is probably not really named Jezebel because it's hardly a name anyone gave their children. Uh, you know, that wasn't high on the list of popular names parents gave to their kids. You know, uh, you probably wouldn't name your kid Judas or Herod uh, or Balaam, certainly not Jezebel. Uh, those were names you just didn't give to your kids. The original Jezebel was the daughter of a foreign king, a Sidonian king. And she was married to Ahab, the king of Israel, which already was a no-no. The fact that he would marry someone from another people group and allow for her to bring and corrupt his household and his nation with her gods and worship is despicable before God. In fact, of Ahab, it was said he did more to provoke the Lord's anger than all the kings that were before him. And largely, that was due to Jezebel's influence. Jezebel worshipped foreign idols. She did not forsake those things as she came to become queen of Israel. And she reintroduced them to Israel, promoting them, enlisting others to, to worship her gods. She slaughtered the prophets of Yahweh. She had a man killed to take possession of his vineyard. And she threatened to kill God's prophet, Elijah. And she basically murdered anyone who protested the Baal worship that she promoted and introduced into the kingdom. Jezebel was wicked. She was evil. She was everything the Lord despises. So whoever it is, whoever this self-proclaimed prophetess is in Thyatira, 
It was not a compliment for Jesus to call her Jezebel. She was teaching and seducing people in the church into spiritual compromise and idolatry, just as Jezebel had done in Israel in Ahab's day. Now, I can almost hear some people saying, well, that's great, but I don't do those things. I mean, I can excuse myself because I don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And I'm not engaging in sexual immorality, at least not in temples. Remember this, however, that the Bible equates idolatry with spiritual adultery. Oftentimes, when God is calling out his people for their idolatrous behavior, he likens it to, to someone who is committing adultery against him, to someone who has broken the vow of covenant and decided to go off and sleep with another. Throughout history, idolatry is equated with spiritual adultery. So what Jezebel represents to us is not that we shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols or that we should eat it. That's not really relevant to us today. But it, what it should indicate to us is that we are often prone to worship things other than God. We're all prone to that. My favorite hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. When you are prone to go to another and worship there by giving your allegiance and your loyalty and your time and your resources, then you're engaged in Jezebel-like behavior. The spirit of Jezebel herself is rooted in anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So here's the point that we need to understand. We are all prone to compromise. And God calls us back to himself to be committed to him. Here's another point that may be even more critical than the compromise that these were engaged in. It's not just that these practiced uh, this type of compromised heresy. It's that others who watched them do it tolerated it. They let it happen. They didn't call it out. They allowed for it to be a part of the mixture of the church there in Thyatira. For whatever reason, they didn't call it out like they had done in Ephesus, where they called out false apostles, where they called out false teachers. But here in Thyatira, they were full of love and faith and, yes, service and endurance, but they were allowing for this compromise to go on. It's one thing for Jezebel and her followers to engage in idolatry and immorality, but Jesus calls out those who tolerated it instead of confronting and dealing with it. The heresy is bad. Tolerating it is just as bad. What is it? As we think about the American church, the church of today, what is it that we're tolerating that is just as bad as that which they tolerated in Thyatira? Are there things that we're putting up with that are ongoing in our midst that are just as bad? What is it that's being tolerated among God's people? 
Or what influence have we allowed into the church without firmly standing against it and calling out its deception? I'm not, I'm not talking about the sin that's outside the church. You see, Christians are real good for calling out people who are sinning outside the church. I, I think we're called to love people where they are there. But we are needing to call out the sin that's operating in the church. Paul speaks to that. Jesus speaks to that. John is speaking that to this in this letter. We must judge ourselves lest we be judged. I regularly visit with my friend, uh, our friend, Wayne Williams. He's, he's James's dad. And uh, we, we communicate several times a week, especially in this time. He's a tremendous encouragement to me, and I appreciate my relationship with him. And I, I, I really trust him as a prophetic voice in the church today. And he was sharing with me just a, a few days ago how the Lord has revealed to him how much he re, it re, despises cultural Christianity. In fact, the Lord said to him that cultural Christianity is one of the things that is revolting in God's sight. And then Wayne shared with me the four signs of cultural Christianity that God showed him. I wanted to share them with you. Four signs of cultural Christianity. The first is not taking sin seriously. Now, we could just spend a long time on that. I think that we are prone towards calling sin everything but sin. We, we call it a weakness or a, a difficulty. We call it a struggle. We call it a disease. But in God's eyes, sin is treason against him. It is choosing to do it our own way apart from him. It is missing the mark that he has called us to. And if we don't take sin seriously, we won't fully appreciate the grace that he gave to us to forgive us of our sin. So the first sign of cultural Christianity is minimizing or not taking sin seriously. Secondly, it's exalting love of country alongside love for God. Now, I don't want to dive, dive into this too much, but I see where people can take many things that are good and elevate it to equal standing with their love for God. And that is idolatry. God said, you will have no other gods before me. Family, success, love of country, self-preservation, nothing can be on the same level with God. If we do that, it's a type of cultural Christianity that God despises. Thirdly, when we minimize the move of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of his power for the purpose of not offending people. Ugh. This is intense. I think that the church in many times has tried to be so relevant and so palatable that they have watered down their message and the effectiveness that God has called them to live in. Why should we minimize the very power of God that has been sent to change people's lives? Lord, help us not do that. The last uh, trait of a, 
of a cultural Christian faith is prioritizing the comfort of people over the radical obedience that pleases God. Man, when Wayne said these things, these, these four areas, it pierced my heart. I thought, that's, that's spot on. And it, it, I want us to just consider those things and see where they are operating in our lives and where we ourselves need to repent and come back to him and make sure that he is central to our faith. Namely, that sin is serious in God's eyes. That we don't exalt other things, putting them on equal footing with God. That we don't minimize the work of the Holy Spirit. And that we're not more interested in our comfort or in the comfort of our people than we are in obeying God. To use Stott's language that I mentioned earlier, the question we need to ask ourselves is what poisonous weed is luxurating in our garden? What cancer is starting to grow in the body? What enemy is being harbored in our midst? Jesus, Jesus wants us to deal with it. He wanted the church in Thyatira to deal with it. He wants us to maintain purity before him, even as we maintain our love for him and others. And out of this language, Jesus promised Jezebel and those that committed adultery with her that he would cast them upon a bed of sickness and they would suffer great tribulation. Listen, Jesus is love. God is love. But God will not be mocked. He gives us time to repent. But if we do not, judgment is coming. So repent. Come back to him. That's where he wants us to be. Jesus finishes it up by admonishing those who had not adhered to this teaching, to no longer tolerate it, and then to hold fast until he comes. And I love that because holding fast is what he has asked us to do. It's not a whole lot more that we need to hold on to, just simply what he's already given us. Look how he closes out this portion of the letter in verse 26. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. <laughs> Jesus is called the morning star. He replaces what Lucifer is called the morning star. But Jesus is the true morning star, and now he's promised to give us himself. And then he finalizes it by saying, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want us, Covenant Life Church, and everyone who's listening to this program today or in the coming days, I want us to be known as people and a church of great love and faith and service and endurance, and yes, doing even greater things now than when we first began. But I also want us to be a church that keeps God's word central, keeps it in our own lives, operates in it, and doesn't compromise the truth or water down the gospel. I want us to take sin seriously. 
I want us to keep God at the center of our life, not allowing anything else to elevate next to him. He is God and God alone. And I want us to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and families, in our community, in our neighborhoods. And I want us to obey God, even when it means we might be uncomfortable. May the Lord help us. And may he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Donna's going to come and visit with us here, share what is ever on her heart, and then we're going to conclude our time by praying for you. That was good. There's a verse in Ephesians um, 5 that talks about submission, and it, it's actually saying submit in the church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I was reviewing that earlier this week, and I came across um, a, a paraphrase that used the terms voluntarily yielding in love for the word submit. Hmm. Um, and it really struck me that that is the power of community, Christ and community, hmm. is that because he loves us, we can voluntarily yield in love. Um, and I think in order for us to stay on the path that Chris was talking about this morning, where we don't get confused about what his values are, that we don't substitute our priorities for his purposes in the earth, in our lives, in the lives of people that we meet, um, the people that he has died to redeem, it's important that we yield to him in love and then that will enable us to yield to each other. And if we do that, we are part of making sure that somebody doesn't fall in the ditch. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean because we're policing each other. Mm -hmm. I mean because we are responding to God's leadership and his authority. He's the king of our heart, as James was saying earlier. And it allows us to bring what he is doing into any moment. If he is in us and we are present, then he is present. Yes. And so I'm exercised in the four things that Wayne talked about where we can see that we are moving away from the plumb line. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for me personally, I need to make sure that I am voluntarily yielding to my community um, I was talking to someone yesterday who said to me, I just wish somebody would tell me if I was getting off track. Um, I wish somebody would love me enough to look at me and say, you're blind in this area and this is something you need. Hmm. But I think as we submit one to another under the love of the Lord, yes. that we will find our voice, that right. we will be able to keep each other out of the ditch. That's right. Because there are a lot of voices in the world. Yes. There is a, a flood. The enemy comes in like a flood. Mm -hmm. But God has raised a standard. And yes. I think one of the standards he raises is are his people yeah. who That's love true. him and are called according to his purposes. Um, so I want to pray for us that we know how to be good to each other in the light of the context of the world and the struggles that we are all facing and that we love each other well and we hold each other fast That's to the good. teaching that we've received.
Amen. Father, thank you so much that you came, that you bled, that you died for us to be redeemed and to be brought into the glorious kingdom of the children of God, that you've translated us into the kingdom of light mm. so that we can be light set on a hill, so that we can be salt in the earth. In these times when there are so many belief systems and only one Jesus, we want to be faithful witnesses, Lord. Yes, we do. And in order for us to be faithful witnesses, we have to keep pure. We have to make sure that we're standing next to the plumb line and we're not wandering off distracted by other thoughts, other preferences, mm -hmm. other opportunities. So, Father, I personally commit to voluntarily yielding in love. Mm to our brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in the Lord, wherever they may be. Yes. I want to be a faithful steward of those community relationships. Mm -hmm. And I want to be sure that my heart stays tuned to you so that I'm not a distracting voice, but I'm part of what the Spirit is doing, mm -hmm. that I'm listening, yes. that I'm responding, that my heart is not hard today. And I ask, Lord, that you would do that for each of us that are hungry. Yes. That you and your faithfulness would cause us to be faithful to your purpose, to the move of the Spirit. That we would not be someone who leads others astray, but that we would be those who point to you, only you, with gratitude and with worship and with the things that we do and say in our lives. Yes. Lord, each of us need your help. We recognize that our tendencies are to slide away. They're to, to veer off, to miss the mark. But we thank you that you're a good shepherd and you call us back to yourself. You yes. call us to repentance. It's not a, a mean word. It's a hopeful word to return to the place where we were made to be. Yes. And so, Lord, we want to be those that have great love and tremendous faith and great service and ministry and even patient endurance. We want to be those who do it even more effectively than when we began. Yes. But we also want to be those who do not compromise and who do not tolerate compromise in our own lives, in our own families. We want to be lined up with, as Donna mentioned, your plumb line. So help us, Lord, to take sin seriously in our own lives when you point it out to us. Yes. Help us return quickly and receive your help. And help us, oh God, not to elevate things into your seat. There's only one that sits there. Hmm. It's the king. Don't let us put even good things up close to that. And help us, O oh Lord, to, to make sure that we are, are living according to your purposes and your way. That we will not seek our own comfort and yes. that we will not miss the move of the Spirit. I bless each person that's listening today. May the Holy Spirit come and bring truth 
Bring hope. Bring faith and encouragement. Bring repentance. And help us, O Lord, to return to you, to draw near to you as you draw near to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you in the Atlanta area, we hope we see you tonight, 7 p.m. at our church parking lot. It's going to be a great time. The Lord bless you.